Stand Up for the Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up for the Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Hello, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for tuning in. And if you are having a problem accessing the website StandUpForTheTruth.com, it's been down since yesterday. Um, we're trying to switch it over to a new website that's easier to navigate. It's been somewhat redesigned and also to a new server because our server, as you know, uh, the site kept on going down. So we're, we're aware of the problems. We apologize. It'll be down this weekend. Um, so just pray, pray for that God would, uh, uh, cover this process and be able to get this site up and running that whoever's in charge of it and all the technical aspects will be able to get this thing going again. But expect it to be down this weekend. It's up right now temporarily. So please access it if you're listening live. Right now, go uh, get your blogs or get your podcast printed out, whatever you need to do, and, and download it so you can have it on your um, computer or your iPhone so you can download the podcasts. Uh, okay, so we already know that. It's a problem. We don't know how long. Uh, past experience says there will be glitches and problems. But just a heads up, um, I uh, approach you with a heavy heart this morning because I've, uh, because of the subject matter I've got to address today. But I promised you yesterday that I would start with good news. And we do have good news. In fact, wow, three stories? <laughs> three good headlines before I get into what we need to address. And that is the dark, demonic history driving drag queen story hour. And how can believers respond to this? Uh, we're going to go back in history more than 50 years and look at some quotes, some of the people that are pushing this. We're going to look at the agenda behind today's drag queen fascination and why it has become practically accepted in our culture, aimed at children, because we know children are the target and family is the target. They want to subvert the family and heterosexual relations. And the phenomenon is far more demonic than its defenders Claim, but it's kind of been sanitized. So we've got to talk about this. We will go to the scriptures. So, Father, give us wisdom as we uh, approach this topic today. It's not one that we like discussing, but it's one that every one of our children are faced with when they go to, whether it's public school or they're online, whether they're watching TV or even in their peers with their friends. They're going to be faced with this and Christian parents need to know how to respond and equip their children with the truth. So, Father, give them wisdom on how to do that. And, Lord, educate us, inform us, get us ready for what is ahead so that we can respond to what's happening in our culture with love, with the gospel, of course, but also that we can really defend the truth of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, give us wisdom on how to do that. We love you. We thank you for counting us worthy to serve you, and we thank you for saving us and redeeming us by your blood, we have forgiveness. And we're, we're so blessed, God, that you have chosen us and appointed us to go and bear fruit that will last. Show us how to do that, Lord. Show us how to be more effective in that, and starting with our own family and then our people in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so he's back. Another answered prayer for Coach Joe Kennedy. And uh, you may remember him, Coach Kennedy. All he wanted to do is play football and coach football, I should say. Well, his first request was granted this summer after seven years in the courts. He was the one, remember, that just went to the midfield after a high school football game and took a knee and prayed for a minute in silence. When his team started joining him, that was the problem. That was when those powers that be said, wait a minute, they're spreading their religion. Anyway, it says Coach Kennedy is to be reinstated to his previous position as assistant coach of the Bremerton High School football team on or before March 15, 2023. That's according to a ruling handed down uh, Tuesday by a U.S. District Court. Um, the latest ruling comes almost exactly four months after the U.S. Supreme Court ruled 6-3 to three, 
that the school district in Washington, uh, Bremerton, violated Kennedy's civil and constitutional rights when it fired him for his brief public post-game prayers in which students occasionally joined. So that was the culmination of a seven-year battle to get his job back. Kennedy was represented by First Liberty Institute. So you can look up that story. There's more good news out there, and I want to go to the next story. And that is a California cake artist that was targeted for religious discrimination gets a court victory. Now, this is more good news. Um, After a lawsuit was brought against her by a group of gay activists, cake designer Kathy Miller has been vindicated. Um, She was a designer, of course, an artist, you know, cake maker, kind of like Jack Phillips, remember? Um, Anyway, October 21, attorneys from the Thomas More Society brought home a First Amendment victory for this cake shop owner of Tastries, a popular Bakersfield, California bakery that was targeted by gay activists. Well, the ruling was handed down by the judge of the Superior Court of California of Kern County, uh, decided for Miller in the lawsuit brought against her by the Department of Fair Housing and Employment. So the state goes after her, a Christian business owner. We applaud the court for this decision, said the Thomas More Society Special Counsel. Um, so the freedom to practice one's religion is enshrined in the First Amendment. And the United States Supreme Court has long upheld the freedom of not only religious expression, but in this case, artistic expression. Um, her case is not much different from Jack Phillips in Colorado, the cake maker who declined to make a cake because it expressed messages contrary to his faith, his Christian beliefs. So um, the activist also filed a lawsuit. So this is good news. I've got to move on for the sake of time. So two good news stories. And now number three. Over to American Family News, American Family Network. Um, there's hope that the tide is turning after a New York judge defends those who are unvaccinated. So critics of the jab or uh, you know, COVID-19 mandate are praising a ruling in New York that ordered the government to bring back public employees who were fired for refusing the controversial experimental uh, jab, the shot, the experimental vaccine. In the ruling from Judge Ralph Porzio, whose state Supreme Court office is based in Staten Island, he accused New York City's health commissioner of violating the constitutional rights of the city's sanitation workers by barring them from their jobs. Now, as we know, uh, tens of thousands, if not more, um, hospital workers across the country were fired or were forced to resign or step down because they refused to take the shot. So this is a good ruling. After reading over the ruling, attorney Matt Staver of Liberty Council tells AFN he was grateful New York City's jab-demanding leaders were hit by... Uh, the judge's arbitrary and capricious charge, a familiar phrase in the legal profession. But beyond that, Staver says, he said this was not about health. It was about compliance. So Staver, um, Liberty Council, by the way, is fighting for the COVID-19 mandate in fighting against it in courtrooms across the country in different cases. So this is very good news. And we'll see how other court cases come out if fired employees, whatever profession they were in, or um, those who were forced to resign will be compensated and will be uh, able to get their jobs back. So there's some good news on the horizon, friends. Um, It's not all dark. But now we've got to go to this issue. I will start off by reading Isaiah 520. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light, and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Isaiah 5.20. So let's talk about this today. Going back to Genesis 1.27 and 28. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. That's Genesis 1, 27 and 28. So we obviously know those who do, we, you cannot procreate if you are with the same sex. If you, a man marries a man, if a woman marries a woman. Now, <laughs> technology has enabled 
things to happen, uh, artificial insemination, things like that, um, in vitro fertilization. There are things that you can now do if there's not a you know, husband and wife. But what did Jesus say? But th- from the beginning of creation, God created them male and female. This is Mark chapter 10. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, no one is to separate. No man, no person is to separate. Mark 10, verses 6 through 9. Now, there are more verses to get to, but before I do that, I want to go to a very basic verse that doesn't need much interpretation. From the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 22, verse 5. And then I've got a couple of headlines before we get into this phenomenal article by Christopher Rufo. Deuteronomy 22, verse 5 says, A woman shall not wear a man's clothing, nor shall a man put on a woman's clothing. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. I don't know if you can be much more clear. Deuteronomy 22, 5. Now, um, I've got a couple other headlines that are a little disturbing. Parents in Indiana have lost the appeal for custody of their own teenager who identifies as transgender. Now, there's a reason we started with some good news headlines, friends. Um, The Court of Appeals of Indiana affirmed a trial court decision removing a 17-year-old minor from the custody of his parents for their refusal to affirm him in a female gender identity. The case displays the messy personal qualities in a gender identity crisis, as well as the disastrous implications of permitting the transgender ideology to gain a foothold in law. So Department of Child Services, DCS, received a report last year alleging that the mother was verbally and emotionally abusing the uh, 16-year-old child by using rude and demeaning language toward the child regarding uh, the child's transgender identity. Um, okay, these are serious accusations. But in an age where some people believe that, quote, misgendering is a fireable offense where people should be punished, it's prudent to examine whether the substance of any charge like this matches its interpretation. So the Court of Appeals responded only one of the, to one of the mother's remarks, um, and we can't get into the details on this, but it's, it's unbelievable that the courts now have power to take away minors from their parents. The next headline over at CBN.com, this is about protecting children. A landmark trial begins in Arkansas over their ban, the state ban on gender-altering procedures for minors. We're talking about prohibiting doctors from providing gender hormone treatment, puberty blockers, or surgery to anyone under 18 years old. If the law takes effect, doctors who violate the ban could lose their license or face other professional disciplinary measures and could be sued. Arkansas was the first state to enact protections a ban on gender-altering procedures. So we talked about this, I think, about a week or so ago. Um, a lot of medical groups, including the American, Metal, Med- American Medical Association, oppose the bans, which is astounding to me. Medical, what does that mean anymore? Um, but the American Academy of Pediatrics, AAP, appeared to backpedal a little bit, uh, saying that the vast majority of children do not, they do not recommend medical treatment or surgery In other words, don't affirm them just because a young child or a minor is confused or say they're confused or think they're the other sex or gender. Don't confuse them. Don't affirm them. And, of course, if you're a Christian parent, you're going to love your child no matter what. But you can do these things in love while still saying, all right, we need to also go by the truth, and that is the Word of God and science and biology. Um, But the Biden administration is pushing this, friends. You know they're doing everything they can legally to push gender change procedures, the hormones, the the affirmation across the board from minors to adults, the surgeries, and they're getting some of those surgeries covered by insurance. And tax dollars are going to fund some of this. 
So we're in a very wicked time where we're seeing very demonic agendas. I'll just call it what it is. What else is it? I just read to you some scriptures from God's Word. If what's happening in culture and people in power are going against the Word of God, no matter what the policy is, then Christians better know how to respond to this. Excuse me. Um, so the FDA announced a warning just a couple months ago in July about puberty blockers um, that if injected into children could cause swelling of the brain, headache, blurred or loss of vision, dizziness, nausea. I mean, they're, they're, and more will come out if the media allows it, meaning if the left and the one-party big tech media conglomerate do not censor this information and call the truth misinformation, as they often do, more more of this will come out, and people, there will be a lot of regret, friends. Christians, this is where you can respond to somebody you know that, whose parents let their child go through this, and now there's a lot of regret, and the child is mutilated possibly for, for life, and these are the times we're living in. So um, also there were some cases, uh, young girls aged 5 to 12, that had a uh, plausible association between the puberty blockers and something else. The Mayo Clinic, by the way, identified this pressure inside the skull increasing for no obvious reason. And so the symptoms mimic a brain tumor. So some of these puberty blockers, <laughs> just be warned, get informed, know how to respond in love. One more headline before we get to the article. Presbyterian Church USA has added non-binary gender queer category to denominational statistics. The left-wing Presbyterian Church, now not, I'm not saying every church in the Presbyterian Association in the USA is leftist, is you know whacked out, is apostate, but generally this is what the denomination has decided. So each year the Office of General Assembly gathers statistical information across the country. They provide a breakdown on church membership, ethnicity, age, as well as other information. But for next year's update, expect to see some changes, um, such as this category added of non-binary gender queer. We're talking about apparently a Christian denomination here, the Presbyterian Church. And you can get that over at theblaze.com. Don't have time to get into that. Now, um, I love this Babylon B. You know, sometimes it's more truthful. Satire is more truthful than we can really appreciate. It says, interest in drag queen story hours wanes after they're renamed more accurately. Man wearing lingerie wants to spend time with your kids hour. I love that because I'm thinking, okay, well, that's what it is. So we're going to talk about that after our break. But I do want to mention my new article this week over at Harbinger's Daily. There are repercussions when Christians take the path of least resistance. And we are at a moral and cultural tipping point in America, and we are in desperate need of a wake-up call. We have arrived, friends. It's here. So I don't have time to go through that article with you because of the content today. I may get to it at the end. But when we come back, I'm going to read a letter, an email from a listener and her family. Um, and I thank you guys for sending emails to comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. If you just joined us, there will be problems with the website. It went down for like 12 hours or more yesterday. I was down all night. Uh, brought up the old website is back online. We did some revisions, uh, kind of a redesign, a simplistic uh, effort to remove some of that stuff that was causing the website to to um, slow load and everything like that. We're also moving to, uh, to a different server, which should take care of some of those issues. So just this heads up, expect if you go to the standupforthetruth.com site over the weekend, it probably will be down. Unfortunate, but this is part of the game when you talk about technology. So also when we come back in my book, Redefining Truth, I wrote a few chapters about this transgender phenomena. This was five years ago about the one-way tolerance and the transgender agenda. I will hopefully also have time to get to the Christian Medical and Dental Association's recommendations for the Christian community and non-discrimination from a biblical approach. We'll talk about that. And also, we'll get into a phenomenal article from Chris Rufo, The Real Story Between Drag Queen Story Hour, next.
Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Okay, so I want to read this email real quick from uh, listener Tracy. Thank you. God bless you and your family. We'll be praying for you guys. She says, hi, David, just read your current article. There are repercussions when Christians take the path of least resistance at Harbinger's Daily. Count us in. We've been in. We are in a situation right now where my husband is going through a trial with management for speaking truth at work about a moral issue. And it's not even jab related, which is how he lost his part time health care job after 34 years earlier this year. Um, and here at Q90FM, thanks, Ann, prayed with us yesterday morning when we stopped in during the 9 o'clock hour. We are so grateful for the ministry of Q90 and Stand Up for the Truth. Um, we listened to you this morning in the car. Thank you for removing PayPal. Uh, two weeks ago, I mentioned problems. I'll skip the rest of that about PayPal. Um, so with one accord, let us move forward as light to this darkening world. The uh, Manitowoc spring election in Wisconsin saw three liberal incumbent school board members ousted and replaced with three men who unashamedly and publicly proclaimed they were Christians. Uh, be encouraged. We are not accountable for the lies and deceptions of others. We are accountable for exercising the freedoms we still have. Jesus is the Lord. Hold fast. Thank you, Tracy. God bless you for that. Um, I had something here about some good news for what's going on, but I just, I've just i got to get back to this topic, friends. We're running out of time already. So Nat Geo, this was from 2017, and it's um, chapter 3 or 4 in my book, Redefining Truth. Nat Geo. You remember National Geographic, right, when it used to be <laughs> a good magazine? Well, in January 2017, they had a cover edition called Gender Revolution. Featured on the cover was a nine-year-old boy, Avery, whose mother says he identifies as a girl. The cover caption read, The best thing about being a girl is, now I don't have to pretend to be a boy. Nat Geo. According to Avery's mother, he became depressed and angry at age three. But the darkness lifted when the child put on a princess dress. As if to justify its actions, National Geographic's editor writes, Beliefs about gender are shifting rapidly. Let me stop right there. Just because beliefs and feelings about anything change does not mean God changes, does not mean the truth changes, does not, does not mean science or biology changes. The laws of nature and nature's God do not change. I'm, I'm going on. Um, so the Nat Geo has been featuring this transgender. Oh, Time magazine. Remember, I don't remember how many years ago they did a cover story on the first um, transgender that got, I don't know who he is that's got the, it's not RuPaul. I don't remember. Someone's got they got a TV show, quote, reality show, right? But um, as long as you're happy and aren't hurting anyone, then do or be whatever you want. That was a comment uh, about the Nat Geo cover in the story. Do whatever you want. Um, so there's so much else. I'm in that chapter, by the way. I go back to 1952. And start by highlighting selected events on the transgender timeline, the progression of this transgender agenda. You didn't think it went back to 1952, did you? Well, I don't have time to get into all that. In fact, I, we have talked about that before. We'll have to do it again because this issue is not going away. That's why I'm talking about this today. Christians need to know how to respond. So now one more headline, the new social contagion. Um, a non-binary student, or I'm just sorry, non-binary student numbers in public schools are up nearly 600%. 600%. So the majority of these non-binary students are middle schoolers. That's children aged 11 through 14, identifying as neither male nor female. Um, so yeah, obviously this confusion, friends, let's break it down to the simplicity of it. Uh, the confusion and rejection of God's created order of male and female. It's that th this is not biological. It's a direct result of public schools, the media, Hollywood, and now a majority of the Democrat Party grooming children for gender confusion. And it should be 
this should be an, this is an assault on children, and there should be laws against this because children are the victims here. If, if you haven't noticed, introducing the idea of pronouns, gender spectrum, um, transgender ideology, you know, all this confusion to youth, and talking about these things at ages where kids aren't old enough or mature enough to process all these things. So. Okay, I've got to get into this phenomenal, extensive article by Chris Rufo. Um, drag Queen Story Hour. This is where performers in drag read books to kids in libraries, schools, bookstores. It has become a cultural flashpoint. The political left has defended these as expressions of LGBTQ pride. Uh, so, DQSH, Drag Queen Story Hour, pitches itself as family friendly. Stop. Remember I read that thing from Babylon Bee, um, just joking that it's going to rename itself something more accurate, such as man wearing lingerie wants to spend time with your kids hour. So this would be a you'd be arrested out in public if you did these things that are tolerated or allowed or even promoted in libraries and schools uh, and other places. So it's not family friendly. They're redefining those terms as well. We know that. Um, the website reads, kids are able to see people who defy rigid gender restrictions and imagine a world where everyone can be their authentic selves. So it's a, an imaginary world. huh? They can imagine a world. No, it's happening. Not authentic selves because you can't change what God made you, but you can definitely live a fantasy and force that on others. So understand uh, the sexual politics behind the glitter, behind the heels, behind the perversion. Um, there's a development of the, what's called academic queer theory. We're going to talk a little bit about what that means. All right, stay with me. We need to know. How, we need to understand this to see how it got to this point. So the drag queen might appear as a comic figure to some. He carries an utterly serious message, though. This is, it's the deconstruction of sex the reconstruction of child sexuality, and the subversion of middle-class family life. That's right. I, I will say it. It's a demonic ideology. But it be began in the sex dungeons of San Francisco and other places on the left coast and in underground you know, you know, bars and whatever they were doing. And this has gone on for decades. But it's now being transmitted with, with official state support, by the way. The government is supporting this. I mean, the Biden administration sent, I, don't, I think, $20,000 over to Ecuador for them to put on, you know, drag programs. I'm not joking. Look it up. That was in the news, I think, a week ago. News you probably wouldn't have seen in most places. So a number of public libraries and schools across the U.S., they've accepted this, allowed this for whatever reason. But parents and citizens can now understand What's going on? If you listen here, and we can formulate a, strat a strategy for resisting this. Let's start with queer theory. It was an academic discipline born in 1984, even though the movement goes back to the 50s and 60s from the first, quote, transgender or transvestite to cross-dressing. That meant nothing new under the sun. There was cross-dressing in Bible days, but not to the extent, and it wasn't promoted, and it wasn't – anyway um, – the publication of Gail Rubin's essay called Thinking Sex Notes for a Radical Theory of the Politics of Sexuality. Um, this came out, and it was kind of, these were like the marching orders. So beginning in the late 1970s, Rubin, who was a lesbian writer and activist, was into these subcultures of leather, bondage, orgies, and sadomasochism in San Francisco. Um, and also New Age, New Age spiritual gatherings, right? So into the occult, dabbling in the occult, but also sexuality. And this is one of the people behind this gender theory, this radical theory, queer theory. You've heard some educators say, we are queering education. What does that mean? They're using language on purpose, friends. What does it mean when teachers or the NEA the leg, uh, educators are, are okay with this movement to queer or queering education. So Rubin sought to expose the dynamics that shaped and what she considered repressed human sexual experience. 
So modern Western societies, quote, I'm reading a quote, modern Western societies appraise sex acts according to a hierarchical system of value. Now, when you hear modern Western, when you hear the West, uh, read that as Christian, even though, you know, North America is not all Christian. But when you hear the West, that's like the former Christian worldview. So when someone makes a statement that's not directly attacking the biblical worldview and they say we're trying to do this because of the West and their ignorance or whatever, they're coming against the biblical worldview. So Rubin's project and, the, by extension, queer theory was to interrogate, deconstruct, and subvert this sexual hierarchy and usher in a world beyond limits, and that means beyond without sexual limits, experiencing anything. So in other words, nothing is against the law. That's the point they want to get to. Nothing is, quote, godless or lawless because there is no God, and God is not the creator. So um, let me just move on. I'm, I've got to skip around because this is so extensive. Um we're talking about mythology. We're talking about this design to rationalize and justify. What they're, what they're going after is what they call systems of oppression. For Rubin and other queer theorists, sex and gender were always changeable, right? There's nothing permanent about human sexuality to them, and that's why this has become political as well. So notice the, the terms sexual oppression. Or, what, or, or gender oppression. There's another word I came across in this article called erotic injustice, sexual oppression. There's a Marxist influence here of oppressor versus the oppressed. If they call out something as being oppressive, which is biblical worldview, sexual sexuality between a male and a female in a marriage context, the family, they want to break that down because to them they're calling that oppressive. That oppresses people that want to be free without restraints in any sex, any sexuality, any sexual expression. So that there's a Marxist influence behind LGBTQ drag. Um, through a revolution of values, they believed, the sexual hierarchy could be torn down and rebuilt in their image. What's one of the very first commandments God said? Do not have any idols. Do not have a God in your own likeness. I am the Lord, you know, do not have any idols, do not have a God before me. There are no gods before me. But 1984, let's go back to 1984. Um, the intellectual movements of feminism and sex liberation um, kind of started emerging around the same time this culture of, of Playboy magazine and what that, you know, led to, which is which was kind of birthed in part due to the influence of Alfred Kinsey, who we covered on this podcast about a month ago. So 1984, they believed that they were on the cusp of fundamentally transforming sexual norms. Rubin explained, quote, A radical theory of sex must identify, describe, and explain and denounce erotic injustice and sexual oppression. It requires a convincing critical language that can, can convey sexual persecution. So see how they're, start, they're starting to frame this argument. If you are restricting their free-minded sex without any barriers or laws or restraints, then you are part of this sexual persecution, right? So what they're doing, one of their goals was to soften the ground. We didn't get here overnight, friends, where children are confused about what gender they are and they want to have sex with anybody because they can, because there shouldn't be any law or rule against it, because, of course, there is no God, is what they're promoting here. So where does this process end? Are you ready? The logical conclusion, the abolition of restrictions on the behavior at the bottom end of the moral spectrum. What's one of those? Pedophilia. That's partly where this process ends. It's logical. We've been warning about that. Some of us have been warning about that. <laughs> you remove restraints. You, you reject God, truth, gender roles, marriage, family. <laughs> and this is what we're going to, pedophilia. <clears throat> Excuse me. So Reuben denounces fears 
of child sex abuse as, quote, erotic hysteria and rails against anti-child pornography laws. Wow. Why should that surprise us? We saw this coming, didn't we? I hope you did. So she says to men that want to have sex with young boys or girls, children, she says these men are not deviants, but victims. Victims. Why? Sexual persecution. Anyone who would believe the biblical worldview and there would be any gender roles or restrictions against sex without any, you know, you're persecuting them. So, quote, like communists and homosexuals in the 1950s, boy lovers are stigmatized. Wow. Are you getting where this is coming from now, this drag queen story hour? There's a community of men who love underage youth. We wrote about it a couple decades ago. Remember NAMBLA? That was the North American Man-Boy Love Association, NAMBLA. I think their headquarters, they were in San Francisco. The LGBTQ kind of said, guys, I know we, we support you, but let's not push this in public yet. NAMBLA. So, so they say, oh, they're, they're just victims of a savage witch hunt and they don't deserve it. They're the victims. So when we come back, we're going to take a break in a minute here. We're going to talk about one of the father figures of this ideology. Um, some French guy, I think, uh, Occult. I don't remember how to pronounce his name. but So we're going to talk about this. We're going through this article, very extensive. You can pick, pick this up on your own, if you dare, at ChristopherRufo.com, the real story behind Drag Queen Story Hour. There's so much more to get to. But um, this has influenced us to a point where even the Church of England says there's no definition of a woman. Remember? And even, you know, think of Leah Thomas, a man who was nominated by the University of Pennsylvania as the 2022 NCAA Woman of the Year because he won a swimming trophy because he competed against girls, against young women. So this is not going to stop, friends, unless we continue to speak the truth or, if you've never addressed this, start to in our culture. Because, like I said, children are the targets. And let's be reminded... That the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. There's a lot of suppression of the truth going on, rejecting the truth. We've talked about it for a long time. But let's get into this agenda more so you can understand where this came from. Next on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. So the article by Chris Rufo, if you follow him on Twitter, you get an idea of the stuff that he exposes daily. It's, it's hard to keep up with, friends. It really is. I was going to go through this list, which I recommend you look up. Um, it's on page 63 of my book, Redefining Truth, on the Christian Medical and Dental Association, their recommendations for the Christian community and non-discrimination. And, and they go through a lot of things that I think we need to know as far as how to respond as a church, as believers in Christ. Also, the Christian medical profession, CMDA, um, goes through biblical, biological, social, medical, and ethical issues when it comes to this transgender ideology. So back to the article, uh, quote, It could be that the child with his own sexuality may have desired that adult. Again, they're trying to justify pedophilia. He may even have consented. Should that matter? Should adult with child sex be okay if a child tries to do something? No. So this is what they're bringing out now and saying, wait a minute, we're, we're the victims, we older people. Anyway, age of consent laws, religious sexual mores, and families who police the sexuality of their children represented a 1,000-pound bulwark against sexual freedom. Um, You can't liberate children and adolescents without disrupting the entire hierarchy of adult power. Um, So the family, the law, the religion, the culture is all oppressive, and it all has to go. What are they doing? Deconstructing our society, the order of our society. Um, the second prerequisite for understanding DQ, 
SH, Drag Queen Story Hour, is to understand the historical development of the art, and it is an art, of drag. There was originally a queen of drag who was from Washington, D.C. This was in the late 1800s. Now, of course, it wasn't accepted at that time, but um, they, again, they're trying to point to this repressive sexual culture in America. But in 1969, drag became political. And when, when what happened in 1969? Remember the Stonewall riots? Patrons of a gay bar in New York City rioted against the police and began a wave of gay and lesbian political activism. They, quote, came out of the closet across the country. That was one of the catalysts, the Stonewall riots of 1969. So traditional drag performances became forms of resistance and revolution. And if you're a Christian from the biblical aspect, you're calling it rebellion against God, right? Why? What, what does Deuteronomy 22, um, 5 say again? A woman shall not wear man's clothing, nor shall a man put on woman's clothing. For whatever or whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. But now they're using this as a rebellion. They're looking at it as a sexual revolution. We can do whatever we want, and we can flaunt it in front of your children. And you will approve of us and even applaud. So gay men began to use their costumes to reevaluate this whole concept of what is normal. And the cross-dresser's agenda, again, revenge. We call it rebellion against God. They're looking at it as revenge for being, quote, oppressed for all, the, all those years in America. They were oppressed. Drag performers increasingly saw their vocation as political. Notice uh, they get into libraries. They're funded by tax dollars. The wave of activism rising through their communities uh, just continued in New York, San Francisco. Suddenly, drag was not a private performance, but a statement of public rebellion. There, there you go. They said it. The need to shock required the performers to push the limits, being, men being now sexually explicit, right? So it could be, and I'm reading a quote, it could be that the child with his own sexuality may have desired an adult. And so the drag just brings that out. Drag queen brings that out in him. So let's move on in the article to 1990. We have to jump around a little bit. Um, 1990, that was another critical turn. When the publication came out called Gender Trouble, 1990, it came out Judith Butler, a queer theorist. It was a bombshell, and it elevated this discourse. Now, she saturated queer theory with postmodernism. She provided a theory of social change based on this performance, and let me, let me just ask you, have they had success? Yes. So you have to recognize it didn't start overnight. It had been a well thought out. They've thought this through. They've planned this agenda. Butler argues that even the word woman, though it relates to a biological reality, is a social construction and cannot be defined with any stable, fixed meaning. You can't categorize man or woman. And isn't that being played out today as well, the confusion? So Butler's theory of social change is one uh, is that once the premise is established that gender is changeable, malleable, and used as an instrument of power, uh, we're talking about heterosexual normativity being removed. So that's a restriction right now. What does that mean? The normal relationship, sexual relationship within the context of marriage between one man and one woman. That's heterosexual normativity. Then the work of social reconstruction can begin. And the drag queen embodies Butler's theory of gender deconstruction. Butler writes, The reality of gender is also put into crisis. It becomes unclear how to distinguish the real from the unreal. And this is the occasion in which we come to understand that we take to be real, what we invoke as the naturalized knowledge of gender is, in fact, changeable. It is a revisable thing. So by the 200s, 2000s, I mean, by the 2000s, we just said 1990 to 2000, the performance of drag absorbed uh, the social justice origin 
the the carnal shock and awe of Gail Rubin, postmodernism brought them all together onto the stage, and here we go, friends. What we're seeing in now public schools and uh, being celebrated, uh, gay pride parades flaunted. They call it a socio-sexual economy. Remember, we talked about the political aspect. There's an economic aspect to this? Are you kidding? Anyway, in which members of, quote, queerdom can gratify and reward one another with cash tips and money exchanges. How many times have you seen a little child go put a, a dollar bill into uh, the G-string uh, on the waist string around a drag queen? This is demonic, guys, and they're going after the kids. Um, God have mercy. The goal of drag is to obliterate stable conceptions of gender through this performance. That's one of the key goals. Other disciplines have followed. I can't even say this on the radio. I can't even say that part. But it takes a step beyond adult-child sex. This performance, and I'm quoting now, quote, foregrounds tropes of primitivism and degeneracy as tools of protest and liberation and seeks to subvert taboos against pedophilia, necrophilia, erotic object fetishism, and human-animal sex, end quote. Again, the goal of drag, one of the main goals, obliterate stable conceptions of gender, and, of course, what we call normal in the God, marriage, family, sex between one man and one woman to procreate. They're trying to deconstruct that, tear it down. The final turn in the story of drag in some ways is the most surprising, um, pushing sin. And they say this in this art, uh, pushing transgression to the limits. Some drag queens understood this was too much for many Americans. RuPaul, for example, toned down the routines a little bit, pushed the ideology deep into the background, and presented drag as good old-fashioned, glamorous American fun. Deception. Just kind of tone it down just a little bit, and now just have fun with it, promote it as family-friendly. And then how did reality programming, when it comes to drag and transgenderism, grow? Reality? Reality? The image of a drag queen has consumed our culture to some degree. Um, At least it's getting to our kids. Whether you are aware of it or not is reaching our children. That's why I'm doing this, friends. I don't like doing this topic, talking about this, but we need to protect our children. We need to raise awareness about this and know how to respond. So... They use the commercialization of drag and the goodwill associated with the gay and lesbian rights movement because they've gained goodwill through the decades as a means of transforming drag performances into family-friendly events. And now one of the key figures in this transition was a genderqueer college professor. That's right, college professor, genderqueer, who wrote a children's book. The hips on the drag queen go swish, swish, swish. On the board of Drag Queen Story Hour, the nonprofit organization, by the way, founded in 2015, um, Michelle T. T. E. A. Um, expanded to 40 local chapters now of Drag Queen Story Hour across the United States. It is nonprofit, so they get tax deductions. That's right. So we we know it is a religious movement. It is a political movement and a religious movement. But it also is demonic. So there's another article, a manifesto that came out for the movement called Drag Pedagogy, the Playful Practice of Queer Imagination in Early Childhood. You heard that right, early childhood. The essay begins by applying queer theory's basic premise of social constructivism and heteronormativity to the educational system. Vision of educators, right? School functions, getting the drag queen in there. It's just entertaining. It's, give, just let the kids laugh along, right? Play along with it. They're trying to captivate children, get their attention, and then draw them into the fun, 
family friendly. Now, the authors propose a new teaching method, drag pedagogy, a way of getting queer imagination, teaching kids how to live queerly. I'm quoting from this article, how to live queerly. What does that mean? Bringing queer ways of knowing and being into the education system. They're reaching young children, undermining traditional notions of sexuality, replacing the biological family with the ideological family, and arousing sinful sexual desires in young children. This is their goal. This is their motive. A sub-goal is to seek to actively destabilize the normative function of schooling through transformative education. Guys, now this is where it gets serious because this is where school boards are so important and what's happening in the education system. A lot of people like to poo-poo it when we bring it up on this podcast. After the norms of gender, sexuality, marriage, and family are called into question, the drag queen can then begin replacing this system of values with queer ways of knowing and being. And I'm skipping around in this article. It mentions... It alludes to cultural Marxism where they want to break down the nuclear family and overcome heterosexual capitalist oppression, right? Promoting their books, Drag Queen Story Hour performances. Again, they're nonprofit. They make no bones about it. The purpose, reformulating children's relationship with sex, sexuality, and eroticism. They describe drag as a, quote, site of queer Pleasure. The purpose then to subvert the system of heteronormativity, which includes childhood innocence, and re-engineer childhood sexuality from the ground up. Friends, you can find this online in their books and the drag books that are in school libraries and that are being read to kids. You can read this. You can find out this information if you're surprised by any of this. They are after the children. They're right out subverting what used to be normal as far as sexuality and family but to re-engineer childhood sexuality. I, I'm Unfortunately, I'm, I'm out of time, but they are having much success. So they've learned how to speak code, how to change language, how to draw in kids, how to get approval from parents, how to entertain, and it is demonic. Friends, I, I didn't even get through the last pages of this article, which there are some conclusions drawn, but there are ways to fight back. You've got to be informed. You've got to be active here to defend the children. And, of course, to defend the truth of Jesus Christ. That is ultimately who they are rebelling against. Well, friends, Monday, we haven't done this in a couple of years, I think. We're going to do a Halloween show. What I mean by that, should Christians celebrate that holiday? How? How can we respond to it? Can we give the, present the gospel? Yes. I call it National Evangelism Day. They come to your door. But we'll talk about that. We'll go into the history of the occult and Halloween and why we've got to be aware of the background and the history, but not judge on either side. God bless you, and as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.